0: The Bible says we put on Christ. So in other words, it's God's righteousness we wrap around us that makes us holy. That Holy Spirit lives inside of us, opens our eyes to a a lost world.
1: Welcome to It's Time, the daily Bible teaching program of Mike Kessler, pastor of the River Christian Fellowship in Twin Falls, Idaho. Today, we're going through a series on the Holy Spirit. So, get ready to follow along in your Bible as we join Pastor Mike. It's time for
0: these And I believe as we spoke earlier, why is this story of Peter denying the Lord and then the Lord restoring him and then telling him to feed his lambs? Well, I believe it's because this is the heart and the nature of God is God's restorative hand. In other words, it isn't that we've done something wrong and God leaves us that way that God says, okay, here, now let me get you straightened out here. Let's keep going. This morning, if any of you have ever backslidden on the Lord are you taking a stride from the master's side I just want to encourage you this morning your your Lord stands with his arms wide open to you wanting you to come and be restored and be filled with the spirit empowered and again not just for show but then to go feed his lambs how do we feed people sometimes we just show kindness you know, a, you know. the Bible says by the fruit you'll know them. It, it's by what you do. It's by your heart. Uh, that's how you know an apple tree is an apple tree because it has apples on it. That's how you know what the fruit is. Now, fruit doesn't always grow immediately. Sometimes fruit grows over a period of years. But the thing is, there should be fruit. And it should be, again, that which demonstrates the power of God in your life. Now, he says, therefore. When they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? They were hoping for what I believe is what's called the thousand-year reign of Christ. They were hoping that Jesus would establish His kingdom here on this earth at this time. And Jesus said to them, it's not for you to know the times of the season, which the Father has put in his own authority. Actually, again, I think they were looking for Jesus' millennial reign. I think we should be doing that as well. But Jesus said, but you shall receive power, in verse 8, it says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. This word upon is epi. Uh, You say, what's that? That's your epidermis. God's going to come on you like skin on you. I like that. To receive power. And this word power is not, uh, it's called deutamos in the Greek. And it's, it's not, it, 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 deutamos is, is, the base word is where we get the word dynamo, like a generator in your car or an alternator in your car. It generates, God, that's the Holy Spirit in us, generating his purpose, his design, his life in us so we'll be about our father's business and be rewarded in heaven forever for it. And you'll have a life that you look back on instead of the wish of would-haves, you'll say, yeah, I did what I was supposed to do. So important. Again, it's not dynamite. It goes bang and it's over that God generates that within us. And you shall be witnesses to me in all of Judea, Samaria, and all the ends of the earth. Now, this sounds real good until you look at it in the Greek. Let me read it to you, what he says. He says, you, will be, you shall be martyrs, literally, for me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and of the ends of the earth. You see, it's not just witnesses, but it's witnesses unto death. That's what the word uh, means. It's the word uh martis. And what he's saying here is he's saying it is that which you are driven for, that is your purpose. You know, people look for a purpose to live. That's why so many people get into so many different things. You get into gangs, you get into this, you get into that. Why do you do that? Because we want a purpose. We want a definition for our life. And God gives us that. And he says, notice to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, there is a a bad doctrine that is out there saying that the doctrine of, or the salvation message of the apostle Paul was different than the message of Jesus. And so some even tried to dismiss the uh, Pauline epistles. That would be like First and Second Corinthians, Philippians, uh, Thessalonians, uh, th- those kinds of books, because they were written by Paul, and Paul had a different gospel. I don't know where they get this. They make it up. They pull it out of the sky because it is not true. Jesus, they came to Jesus one time. They said, well, Jesus never taught the gospel of grace. Oh, really? They came to Jesus, and they said, Jesus... What are the works that we must do to inherit eternal life? And to to be about the kingdom, bring the kingdom message. And Jesus said, believe that the Father has sent me. What? Uh, No, 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 no. What works they were talking about? In fact, they actually came and they said, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus said to love God with your whole heart, mind, soul, and spirit. And the second, he said, is likened unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. Because upon these two hang all the law and the prophets. Do you want to know what the Old Testament's about? Loving God and loving your fellow man. And by the way, friends, that's what really the fruit of the Spirit is. If I don't really love, if I don't really love people, I'm not going to try to minister to people and to try to minister to people without love or without compassion it becomes a kind of a an empty act it's like it's like trying to impress your lover by reading them a Hallmark card oh i love thee let me count thy ways are you impressed babe oh how i think of you all the time it's kind of plastic no i'm not saying cards are bad but I'm saying if that's the only love letter that you write in your life to your lover, you're in real trouble because it has to come from the heart. It just can't come from a card. Well, unfortunately, without compassion, and in fact, you can do a cursory study of the New Testament and you'll see, and Jesus, seeing the multitudes, had compassion on them. Why is that? Because when there's compassion, there is a, you start seeing what they're seeing, and you want to reach out to them where they're at. They're lost. They need Jesus. How do I communicate that? Well, I've got my salvation. Hope you can figure it out. See ya. No, that's not very loving. How do we love then? Well, we show the way. Again, this is why the Bible tells us that we reach out to them where they're at. You look at the Apostle Paul when he goes to Mars Hill, this place where I call it um, Starbucks coffee shop. They're all there philosophizing, psychedelicizing about the meaning of life. What do you think the true meaning of life is? Sip. Uh, What do you think it is? Well, I don't know. Sip. And they all are philosophizing about all these different things. Paul comes and he says, I see you guys are all very much coffee drinkers. No, he didn't say that. He said, "I see you're all very religious people, very superstitious people. You got all these things here on your on your place of of philosophizing here on Mars Hill, and you have this one to the unknown god. This is the one I want to tell you about." He met them where he, they were at, and I think that's really a lot. why does, why is that important? Because it requires time. I have to understand what where they're seeing it. The second thing is. I not only have to see that there, I have to relate to them where they're at. But then there has to be the heart and that, friends, is what takes time. You know, my time is money and I've got no time to spend. So when you get some business, won't you call me back again, as the old saying goes. Well, the problem is, is that it takes time. Sometimes you have to sit down with somebody. If If they're, you know, on a on a park bench, crying, and you see, well, that's kind of weird. By the way, I believe the Holy Spirit, in us, what Jesus is talking about here, sensitizes us to the spiritual world. So, if you're a Christian, beware of this. If you've asked God to fill you with the Holy Spirit, you are going to be sensitized in seeing life in a different perspective. It'd be like your whole life, everything's fuzzy, and you go to an optometrist, and, and you sit down in the chair, and he starts you know, bending those different lenses around and looking in your eyes, and he says, here, this is your prescription, and you put, whoa, that's the way it is. Or if you're older, you put glasses on, you go, whoa, that's the way it used to be. As you put the glasses on, all of a sudden you can see things in a different light. I believe this is what the Holy Spirit does. He allows us to see the guy sitting on the park bench crying. And I believe that this is where Jesus seeing the multitude, or me seeing the guy on the park bench crying, had compassion on him. Hey, buckaroo, what's the matter? You sit down and start talking to him. And you begin to find out the things that are going on in his life. And you begin to minister Jesus. See, what I'm saying is the Holy Spirit isn't just a, look how spiritual I am. Look, I don't sin like you do. Why is that? That doesn't say, that doesn't speak of the gospel. In fact, by the way, and something we all need to remember, the only spirituality you and me have is what we've got from God. The Bible says no good thing dwells in the flesh. The Bible says we put on Christ. So in other words, it's God's righteousness we wrap around us that makes us holy. That Holy Spirit lives inside of us, opens our eyes to a a lost world. And now I can respond the way Jesus would when I see people in need. Again, meeting people where they're at and taking time with people to do this. Again, it doesn't happen immediate. And I know sometimes we like to see immediate results. Paul says some water, some plants, some water. But ultimately, it's God who brings the increase. And so verse 9, it says, Now when he had spoken these things, and while they watched, he was taken up in a cloud and received him out of their sight. And while they were looking steadfastly towards heaven... As he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who said to them, Men of Galilee, why do you stand uh, gazing into heaven? The same Jesus who you saw taken up from you into heaven will also come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. I think this is really interesting here. We find that Jesus just, you know, sends... I can just see the disciples going, how does he do that? I don't know, does he got wires? I mean, what, how does he do that? No, Jesus ascends up. And these angels come and say, why are you standing, gazing into heaven? By the way, I think this is really important. In the Greek-Roman understanding, they believed in three heavens. There was the heavens where the birds flew, the atmosphere there was the heavens where the heavenly bodies were at the the sun moon cosmos and then there was the third heaven where the gods dwelt now, there are some religions that come along and say, oh, there's three heaven. Paul says he was caught up in the third heaven. He beheld God in his glory. Therefore, there are three separate heavens. There are the heavens where, where uh, uh, kind of bad people go, but it's still pretty good. And then there's the middle heaven where people go that, well, they're, they're, uh, you know, they're good people, but they're not truly enlightened. Uh, and then there's the third heaven where we're all going in. You know, that is completely erroneous teaching. And here's one of the reasons why, and this is something you need to know, mark in your Bible, so you'll be a good apologetic person. It says, me men of Galilee, why stand here gazing into heaven? Which heaven were they looking into? That's the question I ask when I run into people who believe in three different heavens. I say, okay, they're gazing into heaven. What heaven? Give me heaven number one, heaven number two, heaven number three, the one Carol Beryl is in front of. No, I mean, what heaven are they looking at when they're looking in? Well, they're looking into either heaven number one or two, where the birds fly or up the skies. is what it's talking about. The third heaven, they believed, again, is where the gods dwelt or God dwelt. So, he says, as you've seen him go, he'll come in like manner. I do believe the second coming of Christ is going to be that which, as Jesus will Uh, uh, make his appearance to this earth. He comes right in the middle of the Battle of Armageddon where everybody is slaughtering each other. All the kings of the earth decide, hey, we don't want to fight each other, let's fight Jesus. And so they all start fighting Jesus. The Bible says that uh, he ends this Battle of Armageddon and sets up his millennial reign. The second coming of Christ is uh, well predicted in the Bible. In fact, Revelation tells us when that will be. It's three and a half years after the Antichrist sets himself up in the temple in Jerusalem, not yet built, but it's going to be, probably during its dedication, and declares to the world he's God. Three and a half years to the day Jesus comes. So that's, that's not hard to know. The rapture of the church is something I don't know. That's when Jesus said, watch and be ready. You don't know what hour your Lord's going to come. Now, When we really study Revelation, you'll find at the end of the millennia, excuse me, at the end of the tribulation period, mere survival is all people can do. The Bible says the ocean is dead. That's going to be weird and stinky. They estimate that there will be dead fish, dead octopuses, dead everything, 15 miles lining every shoreline in the world. Now, you can imagine, if you've ever been around sea creatures that are dead, like old seafood, like if you ever have, you know, fish guts, and and they sit around for a little bit, and you go, Woohoo, Can you imagine what this world's going to smell like? When every living thing in the sea dies. Now, whether man does it or God does it, I don't know. It's very simple for man to do it. Set off a couple of nuclear bombs. Kills the plankton of the sea. The fish eat off the dead plankton. Then they become diseased and they die. Then what feeds off of them, that dies. And pretty soon you have the, man can do it. The Bible says it's going to die. And there's no fresh drinking water really left on earth. Uh, Famine is widespread it's pretty bad. But you know, Jesus in Matthew 24 speaks of a much different scenario. He says, as the coming of the Son of Man is so, as as, he says that it will be as the, in the coming of the days of Noah, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. They were eating, drinking, marrying, given in marriage, life as usual, party on. If you remember, if you look at the days of Noah, right before they went into the ark, everything was normal. It wasn't no, see dead and all kinds of crazy stuff. And then Jesus talks about this. And I believe Jesus in those verses in Matthew 24 is not speaking of the second coming, but he's coming, his coming for the church, the rapture of the church, completely different. The end of the tribulation period, mere survival is all you're going to have. It's not eating, drinking, marrying, given in marriage, life is normal, just as it was before the end of the ark. But the rapture of the church, I believe, fits that scenario very well, as maybe Jesus could even come back today. So God fills us with his Holy Spirit. He says to go and wait in the upper room. And this is where they went to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olivet after they saw Jesus go into heaven. It was on a Sabbath day's journey. And when they had entered, they went into the upper room where they were staying. Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, uh, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, the zealot, Judas, the son of James. They all continued in one accord in prayer and supplication. And the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, with all his brothers. They were all there together doing exactly what Jesus said to do. Go wait. The Holy Spirit's going to come. This Thing. Now, they were all believers, friends. Now, maybe you received the Holy Spirit when you, the, the empowerment, the power of God, when you accepted Christ as your Savior. Praise God. That's great. But if you accepted Christ, and there's like, you always can't really share with people. There's always an embarrassment. I, I, I want to talk to this person. I see that person over on the park bench, and I want to, I'm, I'm too shy. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's where God lets you see clearly his need greater than your own insufficiencies. And you go, I'm going to go see what I can do to help that guy or that girl or call that person on the phone or that coworker that you have. All those things are all important because, see, this is how we step out of just going, look how spiritual I am. And we put feet to our faith and we reach out to the lost. Jesus ascended to heaven to send us the Holy Spirit. I'm amazed today how many people that are Christians do not live in the Holy Spirit. They're not immersed in the Holy Spirit. As we looked at the original language here, they haven't clothed themselves with that. This morning, if you've never received Christ as your Savior, God's got a great gift for you. It's called eternal life. That means we take, we exchange our life that's going nowhere, and we say, okay, God, no longer I live, you live within me. I want you to do what you want me to do for you. That's the first thing. The second thing is God says, I got another gift for you. See, God's a good God. He's, he's got a lot of gifts for his kids. And one of those other gifts is empowerment. Now, empowerment comes in different ways. There's different manifestations of that empowerment in you. Sometimes it's a gift of healing. Sometimes it's tongues. Sometimes it's a word of knowledge. Sometimes it's a gift of helps. Sometimes it's administrations or, or the ability to make everything work together. But God's got a gift for you today. And if you're a Christian, if you've never asked, Jesus, fill me with your Holy Spirit. The Bible says, if you do, he will. And your life will never be the same. Why is that? Because we see through the eyes of God, that invisible Holy Spirit inside of us, now is empowering us to see life differently. It isn't just apple pie and the sweet by and by. When I die, I'm going to go to heaven and oh, it's going to be great there. Yes, it will be. But God's got a great purpose for all of us here today and now. And that is, we have a big lost world. We have people that don't know who Christ is. We have people that think they're too much of a sinner to get into church because they've never understood the message of Peter where he denies the Lord three times and Jesus turns around and says, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? He said, feed my sheep. Be involved with my lambs. He said, tend my sheep as well. See, they don't know that message. All they think is Christians are a bunch of goody-two-shoes that never do anything wrong, that, 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 that you know, I, I, well, if I walked into church, the walls would cave in. Well, it's not the case. You see, God sent his only son. He died for sinners. Paul says "As sinners, I am chief. Not I was chief, I am chief. Why is that? Because even though maybe Paul wasn't practicing some of the things sometimes we call sin, I'm sure the thought patterns are there. And Jesus talked about that. He said, if you even think it, it's it's equivalent to doing it. We always judge by the appearance of things, but God looks at the thought and the intent of the heart. That's why we need to be touched by God. That's why you need a new start every morning. That's why you need to be re-touched by God's hand and Let him do that in your life. Now, all all that's required for that to happen is me to let him. If you've never prayed and asked Christ in your life, we're going to pray right now. And you can ask Jesus to come into your life. And then we're going to pray for the believers here that if you've never asked Jesus to fill you with the Holy Spirit, that you would ask him to do that today and just see what God will do as he empowers you. So let's pray. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. And I invite you into my life today. I believe that you died on the cross for me. And your blood covered my sins. So from this day forward, I commit my life into your hands. I repent of the foolish way that I have lived. And from this day forward, I want to live in you. Fill me now with your Holy Spirit. Empower me, God, to see things through your eyes in this world. Change the way I think about everything, Lord. And continue to transform me day after day to be more like you. And Lord, for all of us, that is our prayer. And so Holy Spirit, come. Bless your people. Change the way we see life. Separate us from our past. Remind us of the promises that we have for you in you today and the rest of our lives and through eternity. And so, Lord, wrap your arms around us. Pour your your golden love all over us and let us know how much you care about us and how you love us and how you care about everything in our lives. In Jesus' name,
1: amen. Thanks for joining us on It's Time, as Pastor Mike teaches verse-by-verse through the Bible. If you've missed a program or would like to catch up, you can do so by getting it from the It's Time podcast in the iTunes store, or by downloading it from the It's Time website at theriverchristianfellowship.com. On behalf of Pastor Mike and the rest of us here at the River Christian Fellowship, thanks for listening.